Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemper Oper in Dresden, Germany. This week we're finishing up our conversation with Martin Koch that we had started last time. We'll be using the text to another Mendelssohn song, Wenn sich zwei Herzen scheiden, and an exercise that Martin had found online from an article by Dr. Augustin Ulrich Nebert of the Sprechatelier called Das Einzigartige IG. Obviously, we're continuing our conversation about the IG, IG ending, talking about devoicing or unvoicing final consonants and the voiced initial S. Audition season has started, and European summer programs are beginning to take their applications. If you listen to this podcast, then you probably have also thought about studying and working in Europe. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the programs that I work with in the summer to give you an idea of what to look for in your search. I've been going to the University of Miami's program in Salzburg since 2005. It's a five-week program specifically for young singers and coaches set in Salzburg College right in Salzburg, Austria. The program is set up so that four days a week are chock full of learning. Voice lessons or coachings every day, German class in the morning. Almost every afternoon there's a master class with everyone from me up through David Aronson and Sylvia Greenberg on up to Renee Fleming and Thomas Hampson. Attendees can choose to live in hotels or with families to practice more German, and it is possible to get university academic credit for some of the classes. As a major bonus, there are also opportunities to see rehearsals and performances at the Salzburg Festspiel, one of the premier summer opera festivals in Europe, and every night during the Festspiel, there's an outdoor screen showing previous year's opera productions and concerts absolutely free. There are also several performing opportunities, including a midterm concert and a finals concert, plus a competition to perform in a concert in the Marble Hall of the Mirabel Palace. The International Performing Arts Institute, or EPI as we call it, is set in Kiefersfeld in Germany, a small town outside of Munich, right on the Austrian border. This program has two tracks, one for young opera singers and coaches, and another for young singers that are more interested in musical theater. It lasts roughly three weeks, and there are several performance opportunities, including opera scene workshops, leader recitals, and even a very fun community concert with the local brass band. They always play something extremely American as their closer, and somewhere there's a YouTube of me singing along to their rendition of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody from last year. Again, there are voice lessons or coachings almost every day, master classes with teachers like Kirsten Chavez, Michael Sturm, and Barbara Daniels, and German lessons in the morning. The music theater division breaks off for a week to go to Hamburg or Vienna to audition for musical theater agencies, while the opera division usually heads to Munich for some performances as well. Similar to EPI is a new program run out of Luther College in Iowa, the International Music Festival of the Adriatic, based in Duino, Italy. It's also roughly three weeks long, and along with young singers and pianists, they also have a string program and a composition department, which makes for a very interesting mixture. With Italian class, voice lessons and coachings almost every day, chamber groups, faculty and student recitals, there's always something to be learning. Plus, everyone lives and studies in a gorgeous castle, which normally houses the United World College of the Adriatic. 
and there are excursions to Venice and Trieste. There are also larger programs like AIMS, the American Institute of Musical Studies in Graz, Austria, which has been around for over 40 years. AIMS is a six-week program with a festival orchestra for instrumental students and programs for young singers and pianists. The curriculum is very much like a conservatory setup, and like the University of Miami program in Salzburg, it is possible to get university credits for the work you do in this program. What kind of program you should attend is a very individual thing. All of these programs will allow you to immerse yourself in music, studying, and European culture, so the things to think about are which language you want to study, how long you want to be in Europe, and whether you want to be part of a larger student body or a smaller one. But also realize that any program is what you make of it. If you find yourself needing more individual attention, more coaching or language practice, needing advice on what to do next or what to study, or if you're having some kind of a problem, talk to the teachers and see if they can do anything to help. There are, of course, tons of European summer programs in almost every country over here. And it really is caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, when it comes to picking the right ones. These programs that I just talked about are all places that I have worked, where I know people have had a wonderful learning experience, and places that I can highly recommend. If you're interested in a program that I haven't talked about, and where you don't really know anyone, go to Facebook. As small as the opera world is, most of us are on Facebook, and usually a quick post to ask if anyone knows something will yield pretty amazing results, so don't be afraid to ask. I'll put links to all of these websites, as well as Dr. Nebert's Sprechatelier, and a link to the text for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. You can also follow the Diction Police on Facebook or Twitter at Diction Police. Our first text today is Wenn sich zwei Herzen scheiden, a text that was set by Mendelssohn and a plethora of other composers as well. The poem was written by Emanuel von Geibel, a 19th century poet and philologist who was part of a linguistic society in Munich called Die Krokodile, the Crocodiles. Wenn sich zwei Herzen scheiden. Wenn sich zwei Herzen scheiden, die sich der einst geliebt, das ist ein großes Leiden, wie's größer keines gibt. Es klingt das Wort so traurig gar, fahr wohl, fahr wohl auf immer da, wenn sich zwei Herzen scheiden, die sich der einst geliebt. Da ich zuerst empfunden, dass Liebe brechen mag, Mir war's, als sei verschwunden die Sonn am hellen Tag. Im Ohre klang mir's wunderbar, fahr wohl, fahr wohl auf immer da. Da ich zuerst empfunden, dass Liebe brechen mag. That was Martin Koch reading Wenn sich zwei Herzen scheiden. And we started off talking about how he decides how much consonant he needs to use to be understandable. Das ist ein Erfahrungswert. Das ist auch, solche Erfahrungswerte mache ich für mich meistens auch, indem ich Aufnahmen anhöre von anderen Sängern oder mich selber ähm, beim Üben aufnehme. Einfach kurze Strecken und überlege, was, was überzeugt mich, was überzeugt mich nicht. 
was versteht man, was braucht man zum Verstehen und was, was kann man weglassen, um den, um den Sprachfluss eben nicht unnötig zu stören durch Vokal, äh, Konsonanten, die man eigentlich nicht braucht. Yeah, so what he's saying is that this, this is also a question mark for him. It's something that, that he goes and listens to other singers and he also records himself and goes back and listens to the recordings to see if he's making too many consonants, to see if he's not making enough consonants, what would make it understandable for the, for the listener, as opposed to just assuming inside your head <laughs> that, it's, that it's perfect without you listening to yourself. I think that's always a great idea. The other thing that strikes me with this were the, the places where we needed the glottals, that we mm -hmm. needed a little bit of a lift, like in the first verse. Sich der einst. Looking at it as a foreigner, we want to say der einst. Der Reinst. Hört man auch ganz oft von deutschen Sängern, die es in der gesprochenen Sprache niemals so benutzen würden, hört man auch ganz oft Der Reinst. <lacht> so you'll hear that also from Germans who would never say it that way, but when they sing it, they might do it, they might do that. But it, it doesn't make sense to use the glottal, does it make sense either way? Es macht auf jeden Fall Sinn, so etwas wie ein Glottes zu benutzen. Es muss ja nicht wirklich ein Glottes sein. Es kann auch einfach eine, so eine Mini-Pause sein, wie in der italienischen Sprache vor, vor Doppelkonsonanten gemacht wird oder so. Ja. Ähm, einfach um klarzustellen, dass das R, das man im Prinzip ja weglässt, und was eben bei der einst drin wäre, so wie es geschrieben ist, man, wir sprechen aber der einst, äh, um, um äh, festzustellen, dass dort ein R ist und diese kleine Vokaländerung von dem E in Richtung A auch klar dargestellt werden kann, macht man vor dem Einst eine ganz kleine Pause, ein Glottes oder wie auch immer man das hinbekommt, ohne dass man sich da äh, stimmlich einen abwirkt. <lacht> exactly. So he says that whether you use a glottal or whether you take up just a short little minimal pause, pause between the two sounds, basically what, you, what we're doing there is acknowledging that there is an R that's not spoken, so der einst, and you actually just have to stop it without stopping the flow of your language, without stopping the flow of the singing, but still stopping the flow of the word, basically, der einst. And we had the same phenomenon in the second verse, the third word of it. Zuerst. And this one, I know we were, we were talking about the fact that the, the vowels are so different, right? Ja, genau. Die Vokalfarben liegen ja extrem weit auseinander. U ist ein, ein sehr hochliegender, geschlossener Vokal und E ist zwar auch geschlossen, aber viel heller und, und viel weiter vorne sitzend, dass man äh, auf das Erst, dass man das Erst nicht unbedingt mit einem Glottes ansprechen muss, dadurch, dass durch diese sehr starke, abrupte Vokalfarbänderung eigentlich auch das, der, der Vokal, der, der Weiterfluss des Wortes klar verständlich wird. Zuerst. Yeah. Zuerst. Ist eine Geschmackssache. Ähm, man, kann, man kann einen kleinen Glottes machen, um es, um es wirklich ganz absolut akkurat auszusprechen, aber ich glaube, die Verständlichkeit geht nicht komplett verloren, wenn man zuerst relativ weich ausspricht. Yeah, so he's saying that because the, the U and that the, the E, because the, the vowels then are so different, we could get away with not doing any kind of a glottis there. We could almost just get away with the abrupt change in the two vowels standing in the place of having a small glottis between the two so that you can continue the flow of the, of the language, the flow of the song. My, my one caveat there would be to make sure that you don't say a w, not to west. If yeah. you're going to say it, it has to be really u, u, e. Nicht, dass ein Diphthong daraus wird oder irgendwas. Exactly, like a little glide. You don't want a diphthong, you don't want a glide. You want them to be two completely separate vowels. Yeah. And again, we come back to our IG words. Traurig. Exactly, which follows all the same rules that we talked about in the first song, right? So if it were traurige, 
then we will still have a G. Yeah. Because here it's all by itself, it's traurig. Und ganz interessant, nach dem traurig kommt ein gar. Das heißt, man hat dann plötzlich zwei komplett unterschiedliche G-Formen hintereinander. Das Ch vom traurig und gar mit yeah. einem ganz normalen G. Ja, yeah, exactly. So he's saying, after we get this Ch of traurig, we get the, the hard G of gar. So we have two different ways that the G can be spoken back to back. Genau, und das ist eben nicht, äh, wie jetzt im Italienischen oft miteinander verbunden wird oder im Französischen, dass das äh, aus den beiden Gs eines wird. Das ist in diesem Fall überhaupt nicht möglich. Man muss sagen, traurig, gar. It's not like in some other languages where you could connect the two sounds together. They're two completely different sounds, so they have to maintain their own phonetic identity. And actually, since we're saying about G sounds, we also have kling. Und ich klingt. Exactly. But there again, that's dialectical, isn't it? Bin ich mir nicht ganz so sicher. Ja, natürlich. Ich bin auch immer wieder versucht, klingt, um, um es wirklich gut und akkurat auszusprechen. Passiert es auch einem als Muttersprachler immer wieder zu viel zu sagen. Es ist vollkommen klar, dass es klingt, klingt. Genau. Muss ohne irgendein K oder G laut dazwischen. <lacht> exactly. So I said, even for, for people that are native German speakers, you'll hear people say klingt, because they want to really pronounce it correctly. But in that case, they're actually pronouncing it incorrectly, because it really is only the N with the hook on the right hand side, just that NG sound going straight to a T with no K in between the two of them. Wenn wir schon bei den G sind, dann haben wir noch ein eine dritte G-Form am Ende der zweiten Strophe, brechen mag. Ja. Da hat man ein G, das wird dann am Ende des Wortes wie ein K ausgesprochen. Exactly. At the end of the second verse, we get a G that's spoken like a K, as he said in mag. Mag. And again, that's because of that Auslautverhärtung, it's because those final consonants get devoiced. Is there any case where you would voice them? Would you say, ever say mag? Nein. Never. Alleine dadurch, dass das durch das Stimmhafte irgendwo noch irgendetwas wie eine Vokalfarbe danach kommt, ist man sofort im, im Bereich Akzente. Ja. Entweder Akzent durch eine andere Sprache oder ich weiß gar nicht, ob es überhaupt äh, Akzente oder Dialekte in der deutschen Sprache gibt, wo diese Gs stimmhaft gesprochen werden, ich denke nicht. Ja, so he's saying that if you would make it voice, then it would, it would necessarily sound like there's a vowel after it and it's either going to change the language or it's going to sound like you have a foreign accent as opposed to having a real German accent. So always de-voicing the ends of words. And speaking of that, we also get it with the S's that we have in the middle, in the middle of the second verse. Im Ure? Mirs. So that S is always going to be unvoiced at the end, right? Yeah. Zu Beginn des Wortes immer stimmhaft. Und am Ende des Wortes immer stimmlos. At the beginning of the words always voiced and at the ends of words always unvoiced. And I'm so glad he said that because I really wanted to talk about that and I almost forgot. Because we get words like S-I-C-H. Sich. Or S-O. So. And these words, everything, or the, the word for son. Son. So you can hear that at the beginning of every single one of these words that starts with an S, it's a voiced Z sound. Und es am Ende niemals. And at the end of the word, it won't be voiced ever. Es gibt Dialekte und Regionen, da wird es teilweise auch komplett verwechselt. Mm -hmm. Und ähm, 
viel auch stimmhaft am Ende gesprochen, aber das entspricht nicht der Ausspracheregel, das entspricht dann nur dem regionalen Dialekt. There are some dialects where they have it backwards, where some of the initial S's are unvoiced and some of the final S's can be voiced, but that's not according to the rules correct. It's not according to the rules of German pronunciation correct. Did you catch my German grammar at the end? <laughs> Martin and I had so much fun talking about diction and singing and music that day that I got a little punch drunk and also a little mixed up between my languages after a while. At the beginnings of words, always voiced, and at the ends of words, always unvoiced. I was so happy that Martin said this. It's one of the few rules that you can really hold yourself to in German diction without any exceptions that I've ever run across. This rule also applies to the letter S. So far, German is the only language that I've studied where an initial S, that is to say when the letter S starts a word, will be a voiced Z sound. And it will always be a voiced Z sound at the beginning of a word, as we saw here in Sonne, sich, sei, and so. I have on two occasions heard German coaches tell singers to unvoice an initial S to make the sound sharper. And both of these cases were in Wagner repertoire. But the hard and fast rule is to voice an initial S. Which brings us to the second half of our rule, at the beginning always voiced and at the end always unvoiced. And I really wanted him to make this point again about devoicing the ends of words. There's one diction book on the market that says in order to make yourself more understandable in German, you can voice that last consonant sometimes. I'm not really sure where the author found that rule, but I've worked in five German opera houses, and as you know, I ask every German I meet tons of questions, and all of them say the exact same thing. The final consonant in German will always de-voice. As a technical point of diction, some teachers will insist on differentiating between an unvoiced consonant, like a T, and a de-voiced consonant, like D, that's de-voiced, and there is a difference. I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I don't think we've talked about it for quite some time. In the case of the word mag, M-A-G, you could either transcribe it as M, bright, A, with the long colon sign, K, or M, bright, A, with the long colon sign, and a G with a small circle underneath it to indicate that it's not truly a K, but it's a de-voiced G sound. Either method is perfectly acceptable. In my personal experience, it's easier to use that softer de-voiced consonant, which will have less explosion, in the more intimate art song literature. When you're singing an opera with an 80 to 100 piece orchestra, you're probably better served with the explosive unvoiced consonant, but never a voiced consonant at the end of a word. Getting from the CCD of traurig to the G of ga takes some practice because it involves two different parts of the tongue. The sisedia is formed up on the hard palate, and then the back of the tongue has to engage to say a real G sound. And this combination comes up quite often in German. Just think of Constanza's Ari in the abduction from the Seraglio, Traurigkeit. Or when the three ladies in Zauberflöte at the end of their, their big trio sing, Ich geh, ich geh. The sticking point in this combination is to make sure that you don't accidentally pull the C-Sidia back to a phonetic X sound like Ach, 
because you're anticipating the G or K sound in the back. So we don't want traurigkeit. It has to stay front. Traurigkeit. The other thing to practice is that C sedia before a T, which we don't have in this piece, but we will see in the next text. The difficulty there is getting from the ich laut on the, on the hard palate to the tip of the tongue on the T. So these are things to practice separately. Our next text doesn't come from a poem or a song. This is an exercise from a specialist in German speech, Dr. Augustin Ulrich Nebert, who runs a company called the Sprechatelier. The Sprechatelier in Halle, Germany, specializes in German diction and vocalism for every field that needs it, with classes in diction for media speaking, through to speeches and debate rhetoric, from Hochdeutsch through to all the dialects in German. Dr. Nebert also studied music and singing as well as language sciences, and to bring things full circle, one of his colleagues is the son of Uta Müksch, who was on episode 22 of the podcast. Martin had found an article of Dr. Nebert's online, Das Einzigartige IG, which discusses everything we ever need to know about this phenomenon. And when I wrote to Dr. Nebert asking for permission to use this text on the podcast, he offered to read the text himself. Am 24. Dezember, dem Heiligen Abend, lauschte Ludwigs Frau Hedwig demütig der Predigt in der Vereinigungskirche in Leipzig. In den Tagen zuvor waren sie und Ludwig notwendigerweise sehr eilig beschäftigt und sehr fleißig, die Zeit raste mit enormer Geschwindigkeit. Und so freuten sie sich auf die angekündigte Möglichkeit, wenigstens die nächsten Tage ruhig miteinander zu verbringen. Nach dem Gottesdienst gingen sie auf ihrer am häufigsten verwendeten Route nach Hause. An der Wohnungstür kündigten sie auf einem wichtigen Schild an, der einzig erlaubte Zutritt ist für den Weihnachtsmann. Widrigenfalls erwarten wir wenigstens eine Entschuldigung. Nur der Berechtigte kam und sie waren überwältigt von einem einzigartig lustigen und ruhigen heiligen Abend. Just so that everybody sort of understands the point of this. You can hear that there are so many cases where this IG is followed by a consonant and we still say that as, as a phonetic C-Sedia. 24. Es bleibt vor allem weil nach dem G ein Konsonant folgt. 24. Aber es heißt im Gegensatz dazu Heiligen Abend, obwohl es von Heilig kommt. Weil ein Vokal folgt, Heiligen, aber 24. Yeah, so you can hear in 24. It's followed by a consonant, but in Heiligen, it's followed by a vowel. And you see the same thing when you're saying the wife of Ludwig, you get Ludwigs Frau. Genau, genau. And, and also in the, in the sermon, the Predigt. Genau. Dann kommt das Wort Vereinigungskirche was ursprünglich von vereinigt kommt, aber dadurch, dass nach dem IG ein U folgt, also ein Vokal, heißt es Vereinigungskirche. Yeah, so you can hear that because that also has a vowel, from a, because it's from the, the stem of the word is vereinig, then you have, with the vowel, then it becomes a hard one. The one place that we found where that didn't hold true was in something about the Christmas man. Genau. Der einzig erlaubte Zutritt. And there we can't, ex we can't let it be einzig erlaubte, right? 
Genau, denn daraus würde ein anderer Sinn entstehen. Da ging es um einen Einziger, der laubte. Es ist äh, Unsinn. Ähm, das ist aus den Worten einzig und erlaubte zusammengesetzt. Und damit man das einzig auch nach wie vor als einzig versteht, muss es ausnahmsweise dort mit ich gesprochen werden, obwohl ein Vokal folgt. Ja, Eben so. der einzig erlaubte, aber zum Beispiel der heilige Abend. Exactly. So in this case with der einzig erlaubte, if you put it, if you would make that with a G, you would have der einzige and then laubte. So it's one of these zusammengesetzte Wörter. It's a compound word in German. And if you don't maintain that Ich-Laut, you've actually changed, you've actually made a word that doesn't make any sense. The Laubte doesn't Wir haben noch ein zweites solches Wort gerade gefunden. Oh, we do, exactly. Einzigartig. And it's that unique, einzigartig. Und es ist eine, eine doppelte Ausnahme. It's a, it's, a double, it's a double exception because you get two of them in a row now, huh? Ja, also du hast ich, ich direkt yeah. hintereinander, so wie zum Beispiel wie bei ewiglich. That we try to avoid getting that like Ganz hiches. genau, aber es heißt trotzdem einzigartig. But you will, I mean, you Man will. es vielleicht ein bisschen anders erklären. Ich würde es darin erklären, dass der einzig Erlaubte genauso wie der einzigartige äh, der Regel folgt und nicht der Ausnahme. Yeah, so this, those are actually, they follow the rules, this einzigartig and einzig erlaubte, that actually does follow the rule of, it's the end of a word, ja, basically, genau, even folgt, a compound word. Es folgt ein neuer Wortstamm und durch diesen Wortstamm wird das Wort im Prinzip getrennt und man spricht das ich. Yeah, so because of this is because it's actually a whole different word that follows it and not just we're not saying just a vowel and not just a common ending, but as a whole new word, then it, they each maintain their ness. Ja. <laughs> their ness. Als Beispiel die einzigartige Königin. Exactly, because Königin, then we just have a regular ending that means that it is a woman as opposed to a man, a König. Yeah, so we have König and Königin. Yeah. Yeah. Alle Ausnahmen vereint wären dann in der einzigartigen königlichen Königin. Yeah. Dann wird man irgendwann verrückt. <lacht> <lacht> Martin and I weren't very clear towards the end of this in talking about compound words that end in IG. Remember that a compound word is two or more words that are slapped together to make one word. And the German language is rife with them. We should have clarified that we meant when there's a compound word with an IG at the end of the first part of the compound. The important thing then is to figure out exactly where that IG belongs. With the words einzig erlaubte, which means the only allowable, the only allowed, and einzigartige, meaning unique, einzig is the first word of the two words that make up the compound word. Therefore, both compound words are split after the IG. Because of that, we still say it as an open I followed by a C sedia, einzig. And as Martin said, if we took the E off the end of einzigartige, then both parts of the compound word would have the open I C sedia, einzigartig. But a word like Königin, queen, is not a compound word. It's just a regular ending to indicate a feminine noun, so the G becomes a regular voiced G. We see that in the text, especially in the final phrase, lustigen und ruhigen heiligen Abend. The words lustig, fun, ruhig, restful, and heilig, holy, 
in their root form are of course regular IG ending words. But since we add the EN ending to them, because they have to conjugate to match the preposition von and the masculine word Abend, yes, welcome to German grammar, the letter G will become a phonetic G. In general, if a root word ending in the IG suffix is followed by a consonant, it will remain as the open capital I and C sedia, as we saw here with vierundzwanzigsten, predigt, kündigten, beschäftigt, and so on. The exception to this rule is when it's followed by one of only two suffixes, L-I-C-H, lich, and R-E-I-C-H, reich. In these cases, the final I-G will harden to a phonetic K, or you could also use a D-voiced G, and then the suffix has a sedia at the end of it. The words that I've always heard as an example of this are ewiglich and königreich. They do this so that we don't have to say tons of sedias in a row in a word all the time, but there are plenty of words where we do have to say back-to-back sedias. When the word before one of these endings ends in ch, for instance, as in reichlich, just to put the two together. <laughs> so it's best to memorize the L-I-C-H, lich, and R-E-I-C-H endings as the exceptions and to note that it only hardens that I-G ending and not another C-H. One thing that I didn't translate along the way was the last thing that Martin said, that all of the exceptions to our I-G rule happen in the phrase that he said, die einzigartige königliche Königin. Dr. Nebart's article talks quite a bit about the possibilities in different dialects for all of these rules, and also about what we should use for Hochdeutsch, which sets the standards for Bühnenaussprache, or stage pronunciation. You'll find links to Dr. Nebart's entire article on Das Einzigartige IG, as well as a link to the website for the Sprechatelier at the blog page. And that's our show for today. On the next episode, we'll get back to a little French diction with Gilles Ragon, who's been singing Eleazar in the Zempo Opus production of La Juive. In the meantime, to find out more about Martin Koch, Dr. Augustine Ulrich Nebart, and the Sprechatelier, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a high rating on iTunes or post about it on Facebook and Twitter so that others can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.